I think some of the problems that people have with, with selling to the NHS is you might have a wonderful new technology, but if someone hasn't got the time to adopt it or it's not in their immediate priority list, then it's not going to get adopted. Um, so for me, it was about solving an urgent need that needed to be solved and then slowly introducing technology in a more efficient, better way. And you know, now, now our platform has sort of been built over six uh, years or so. Welcome to Founder Metrics by Vested, the podcast where we dive into the world of hotshot business leaders and the metrics that drive their game-changing companies forward. I'm your host, Ifti Nasser, CEO and founder of Vested. In today's episode, we dive into the world of mental health and digital innovation with Dr. Julian Nesbitt, founder and director of Dr. Julian Medical Group. Dr. Julian's platform connects patients with vetted, online, trained clinical psychologists, cognitive behavioural therapists and counsellors through video, audio and text messaging, providing an essential support for mental health. His background is an A&E doctor and his journey into health tech brings a unique perspective to our conversation. Prepare to be inspired by Dr. Julian's groundbreaking approach to improving mental well-being. Dr. Julian, welcome to Founder Metrics. Well, thank you very much for having me here. So, yeah, so I'm uh, Julian Nesbitt. I'm a doctor by background. Um, I was actually an a doctor when I came up with the idea. I'm now working still as a, a GP, a, a dare we. In ter- yeah, so in terms of the business that we've created, there was a, a huge problem that we saw in, in terms of access to mental health care. And I think we all know the problem um, that's getting worse on a global scale, actually. Waiting lists are just getting longer and we know that sort of clinicians are getting very burnt out and leaving. So what could we, I just thought we could could try and come up with a solution to this problem and looking at things like the banking sector um, and other sectors, you know, with Uber, et cetera, the NHS NHS and healthcare in general has a not, is not utilizing technology to the same effect that some of these other sectors are. So I thought, why aren't we utilizing a technology platform um, that kind of benefits the patients, benefits the clinicians uh, and automates the admin and, and, and does things. And I thought initially in terms of connecting you with a clinician, with a therapist, if you could utilize a, a tech platform and do it online, then you could utilize even a global network, um, or at least a, na- you know, a national network uh, of clinicians and then match people to the right mm. clinician for them. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Uh, but yeah, given that your training was as a doctor, what gave you the notion that you could actually uh, build a, a tech business Essentially, well, leveraging tech to to do yeah um, to do this. Well, well, um, yeah, you can't you can't do it on your own <laughs> for a start. Uh, you've got to understand your weaknesses and I guess build build a team around you. Although, having said that, the first few years I, I worked still as a full time doctor, sort of you know potentially having kind of bootstrapped the business I, yeah. I, and not really knowing what I was doing. Um, it, you know, it, it's a case of, of going for it uh, and building. And if you think it's a problem, and I, I had a, a huge passion for this problem that I think needed solving, um, you, you just have to go through the steps, go through the motions, start with a product that, that doesn't work very well, um, yeah. which it doesn't initially. So long as you're providing clinical safety, that's obviously important. But from a tech perspective, apologize to the patients, say we're building a platform, but we will provide you with the best care from our clinical uh, clinical perspective, and then you just keep building and building and building, and that, and, and that's that's how we've got and you know, how we how we got there essentially. So, how, how did you get your first uh, client? 
So yeah, so the in terms of getting the first client, initially we sort of said, okay, could we build an app to, again just to connect patients yeah. to clinicians, and we launched that into the private sector. But it, interestingly, to do that, you do need a lot of marketing spend to sort of market that product out. And I think I was also almost sort of more passionate as well to try and provide this to the NHS and as an NHS as a free as a free service. Um, and also obviously in in the corporate space where, where where they can pay for that as well for their for the patients coming in or the services coming in. So I think from a perspective of getting our first client, we knocked on I knocked on a few doors in the NHS and, and realized, you know, they are really, really struggling to meet their targets. Um, as I was saying, in terms of the problem, like these patients are waiting on waiting lists nine, twelve months, sometimes even up to two years. Um, so by having a system where we could recruit clinicians uh, in a more efficient manner and match them and, and you know give, give patients yeah. choice etc they were like actually you know can we use your use your service and actually by utilizing the technology and doing it online it was also cheaper for them so we were able to provide almost a better service at a cheaper cost so you didn't have to do too much marketing so i mean there's you know uh, a piece of business like this you would imagine you know nhs is a bit of a dinosaur yeah, is that, I mean, that's an assertion, not a not a statement. But um, how do you getting past go with one? I guess yeah, yeah, helps you with the others. So how did that yeah. actually happen then? Yeah, so I mean, the so with the NHS, it's a very slow moving beast, and you can't go too quickly with it or change things too radically where change is not you know necessary. I think what we found um, with the NHS was, guys, we are we can help you with your waiting lists initially and that's they would you know they, they have targets to meet for those waiting lists so they were desperate for that help um, and therefore we could provide that option and obviously starting doing that from a slow basis and building that up we then started to prove that um, we can get good outcomes very good satisfaction from the from the patients and from the clinicians and actually doing it at, at a more reasonable price that would that would normally cost because we can utilize the technology to create efficiencies um so yeah it's uh, how, how do you measure your your, the success of a platform in terms of usage is it the number of trusts that you're being used at is it the number of patients using it how, how do you sure. measure so there's a well there's a few a few measurements so um obviously the number of users coming on the number of uh, patients i yeah. guess is the the biggest uh, ultimate yeah the, the biggest one because it's obviously then the number of appointments that you're doing and if you're uh if, if the way that your business runs which is how ours is running from that side of the business in terms of you're making money on the appointments. So obviously it's the number of appointments that are being done. There are then obviously other metrics in terms of how many uh, organizations, trusts or corporates, et cetera, um, that are using your or, or referring into you. And obviously some of the mistakes that other, other providers have, I've seen happen is where they've had one client that's sort of 90% of their, their user base. Yeah. And if that client leaves, you, you've got a problem. So we've tried to spread that out. Um, so we know we're now providing services to 33 or so NHS uh, trusts with, with 33. More. Yeah. So, and, and more coming in as well as occupational health services, um, looking at health insurers. How many are they in total? NHS trusts. Um, well, it's a, it's a complex, there's about sort of, a, there's about 120, but it, again, it depends on how you, how you categorize it and what's happening with the NHS is, um, there's sort of clinical commissioning groups for various areas that are now becoming what's called integrated care boards. So they're trying to amalgamate things together. So it does depend on how you um, how you measure it. So you know, based on the current measure, yeah, you've probably got about a quarter of them already signed up and using the platform. So yeah, potentially, and and there's sort of again, um, again, it's also the number of services within that uh, area as well. So yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's been successful through word of mouth, really. Yeah. So I think the with the NHS as well, you can't actually sell to them. I don't think it's 
and it's not a very good idea to try and sell to them. What you do is... Why not? <laughs> we had the, the chat about yeah. this earlier on. You were saying how difficult yeah. selling to the NHS is. Yeah. Firstly, why? And then yeah. how? So um, people in the NHS, and you know, as a doctor, I don't like being sold to, right? So if a pharmaceutical company comes and says, you need to use my drug, I'm trying to say that you just switch off, essentially. So sure. that, doesn't, that doesn't work. Um, what does work is saying, you know, we, we're, we're, you obviously have to get your first break with, with that first client, and then you can use that as a case study. And you have to be making sure that you've got strong evidence yeah. behind you that it's working. And I think... The biggest problem with the well, the biggest thing with the NHS now is we need to save money, so we need to find more efficient ways of doing things. And if you can go to a uh, go to an organisation or a trust to say we are able to provide this service that you need to provide at a more convenient way, at a, mainly at a cheaper cost, and help you to meet your targets, then you don't even have to sell it. It's just that's what they need to happen. And I think yeah. so. Did, did being a doctor? I'm I'm guessing that being a doctor helped. So did it, and then secondly, did your own was your own trust the first trust uh, user? Yeah, interestingly, my trust wasn't no, but um, yeah, uh, I think it, it must it must help. I mean, obviously, it's trying to understand the mindset yeah. so that you can you know and and you can kind of come at it from the inside to say, I've seen a problem. I'm trying to help. You know, can you know why don't you pilot this? Let's sure. let's try it out. So I think obviously that that obviously helps. Um, uh, I th- I think you know ha- having got it off the ground. I think some of the problems that people have with with selling to the NHS is you might have a wonderful new technology, but if someone hasn't got the time to adopt it or it's not in their immediate priority list, then it's not going to get adopted. Um, So for me, it was about solving an urgent need that needed to be solved and then slowly introducing technology in a more efficient, better way. And now now our platform has sort of been built over six uh, years or so. It, it's we're now people are coming to us to say can we use your technology as well for our own service so we started licensing the platform as well as us providing our own service on it brilliant i guess to start off with you mentioned about uh, bootstrapping yeah what uh, what did you need to get or to to get to where you are now have you taken yeah. investment where where are you on that journey yeah so we've taken bits of investment along the way so we haven't followed the typical funding course and i guess having being a first-time founder, um, you know, you don't know what you're doing at the beginning. You have to learn by going through it and, yeah, and, and lots of learning, understanding what's going on. Um, I you had an initial small investment. Obviously, I didn't take any salary or anything. I was working full time yeah. as well. Um, and you know, to, to build to help build out the tech, you have to take a small investment and trying to do things as efficiently and cheaply as possible. And then taking, so we've taken a few investments along the way. Yes, um, and we're now also quite a lot of interest uh, for a slightly larger investment, which is going to help propel our uh, technology side where we're sort of selling our, our platform as such to other yeah. providers as well. So when you think about those early investors, yeah, what were the metrics or things that they were looking at yeah. Yeah. Um, to make that investment? Yeah. And how, if at all, are they different yeah. for the prospective investors that you're talking to now? Yeah, so I think normally what happens is you, you sort of do a friends and family round where they sort of believe in you and they give you a little bit of money <laughs> to, get, to, to, to give it a go. And that's based on sort of vision and trying to articulate the problem. Um, and then once you sort of get going, you would then do an, normally an angel type round. Um, again, the country has, has good tax breaks yeah. and things, so it makes it easier for them to want to invest. Um, so in, in terms of that, it's about you know various metrics. So what's the growth? Um, I think... You know, having had NHS adoption, that was a positive, yeah. uh, positive sign, and showing that you know we've been growing at about two hundred and forty percent 
year on year with with limited funding i think you know again that's a, a positive sign for them and again at that stage it's also again believing about the problem and you know what your solution can it yeah. fix at this so when you talk about growth 280 percent um year on year yeah, was that 240 was that about the number of users or was it about the revenues that were coming through what, what was the the growth yeah so that that's based on revenue um obviously users are linked to that depending yeah. on how the business functions on from that perspective um but yeah as i say if you we can just say we can talk about other metrics that isn't just revenue because obviously it's yeah. it's important to um to see where it's going in terms of some other metrics so yeah i mean you're right because uh, um, yeah whenever you look at investors i guess revenue is a, a big one but as a business leader yeah um there are probably other things that you're looking at to help you know the health yeah. of, of the of the business and where it is what are they for you I mean, and yeah, and this modern climate as well. I mean, there was a attitude previously where it was growth at all costs um, sure. and it doesn't matter how much money you're losing. And now we've seen a number of companies, unfortunately, go by by the wayside uh, from that sort of approach. Um, I think if the business, I think you have to have a pathway to profitability. Sure. I think the fact that, we, you know, we basically bootstrapped it. So we, we try to keep our costs quite low. Um, so we weren't burning a huge amount of money, which I think, is helpful and, and showing a, a pathway to profitability of where you know the business is going and actually this is what it's going to take um you do need investment to get there especially with a technology platform but i think um you know that's important so what's your burn rate um is there a pathway to profitability and then you've got all the all the other metrics in terms of how is the business performing will it um so for us it's around you know what is our feedback uh, sure. what is the evidence of how it's working so that we can get better adoption um, what is, you know, from a, if, if from one side of the business where we're providing the clinical services, um, you know, clinicians have a wide variety of places they could go and work. So yeah. why would they want to come and work for you? What's your retention rate of those clinicians? Um, how many clinicians are you able to onboard? Uh, and then obviously keep. And there's no point onboarding 50 and losing 60. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so if one of the, the things is about how you attract those clinicians, they're going to be looking uh, at stuff. What are the metrics for want of a better phrase that those clinicians yep. are looking at when they're look, assessing dr julian versus any of the other yeah uh, either platforms or activities that they can get engaged and what is it that you were communicating to them in in your self for want of a better phrase yeah so i think well firstly we wanted to have a technology that helps the clinician right mm -hmm. and as I said, we, we know that clinicians are getting seriously burnt out and leaving. And I, th I think that the current systems that we're using aren't, aren't necessarily fit for purpose. They were built a while ago and they're not built on modern technology and they don't necessarily give the, the clinicians the, the user friendliness slash the automation of admin, et cetera, that, that could be used. So if we could build a platform that really helps and supports them and makes their life as easy as possible, that, that would be one thing um, in terms of the technology mm -hmm. building. Obviously, money is a is a factor. So, if you're paying someone half the price with some somewhere else, then they would obviously be, uh, you know, that, that's, that's, a, that's a bit, yeah, that's a big factor. But again, you don't want to be at a race to the bottom to yeah. sort of keep going because then again, that would cut into your margin, etc. And then it, I guess it's also about a community feel and and do they believe in your vision and what you're trying to build and you know how do you measure that community feel? Is there any tools or that, I mean, that's a, that's a reasonably hard thing to measure. However, you know, we have surveys that, that would go out um, under, you know, asking what would they like yeah. more of, et cetera. I mean, we sort of 
do various things like run yoga classes and you know those sorts of things to try and help some people don't want that at all uh, others do so it's, it's it's based on on the choice of, of what they would want um and i think i think the biggest factor would be what's your retention rate and you know how, how many people are you, are you onboarding and i think we've been um pretty good on that that you know not many not many have left and we try and we would phone individual therapists we have someone that specifically does that to find out why um and uh, you know most of the time, then you know, moving on for yeah. various reasons. And have you been able to take that information when you? So I think that's absolutely important. Being able to understand why people are leaving a platform yeah. is as important, if not more important, than the, the people who are joining. Hundred percent. So you you take that information and you you get hold of it personally uh, as Dr. Julian, <laughs> the, the human, uh, on behalf of Dr. Julian, the the business. Yeah. No. I say I I used so when you start i kind of phone everyone individually yeah. and, and therefore they would you know give you some give you some uh some slack etc um, and now yeah we actually have a specific em employee that that does that uh, task so again we're continually um we, we've got a very good um people centric organization sure. um uh, you know hr function recruitment function where we're constantly trying to improve things constantly trying to learn yeah and, and just and, and basically uh work out what what is needed or why are people leave. i mean you're never going to stop everyone leaving you know, some people yeah. go off and well, have children and other things so yeah but you you can try and do the best you can and, and just con i think the biggest thing in in business from my perspective especially in this sort of scale up now is constantly iterating it learning from feedback yeah. i think going to the people you like rested are a fully remote business so when you're looking to understand how your people are feeling because when they're remote you get that human interaction on a daily basis in the same way as you do if everybody's in an office so how do you measure engage that yeah. for the health of your business yeah absolutely so i think um yeah so we kind of what well, we, we grew up as a business i guess through covid but obviously it's been remote from the start and i think the fact that we were a remote therapy organization so it was sort of ingrained in what we were doing um it depends on on the person that wants to work for you now i i still we, certain times i think you do need to get together um and i think that is very important um but the majority of the time i think you know you can do it remotely um there are new tools out there now that that have grown up through covid that help with that obviously you know things like microsoft teams and others yeah. that you can have channels and you can arrange meetings and you can do things i think you know, you've got to empower your individual heads of department, et cetera, to be able to run run their team how they want to. And as I say, like you could then do community things like you know, the yoga class or et cetera to sort of build build a bit of that culture in. We have had feedback um, that uh, staff that want to join us, you know, want to join us because it's remote and, th and therefore yeah. you can actually um, hire people from all over uh, the place. Uh, and So how, how many have you, you, you talent. have you hired now? How big yeah. is the team? Well, in our sort of head office, yeah, uh, in your full time the, staff, the core, core, core team. I think, yeah, we're, I think we're up to forty four, forty five now. So, yeah, brilliant. Um, but yes, we're sort of, uh, we're yeah, scaling up as as you say. So, and where do you see that in the next uh, year or so? Uh, yeah, gosh, that depends. We're, I think, where we're, we're growing quite nicely and very uh, and organically on our mm -hmm. on our service model side. Um, as I say, we're, we're onboarding new organizations all the time and therapists um, and clinicians, and we're starting up new services mm -hmm. such as, you know, a children's service, because that again is a huge problem. Uh, children are not getting access to mental health support. Yeah. So wanted to to try and address that. 
and obviously that side of the business will grow but we've also now got this other side of the business which is where we are um, licensing our technology platform for other service providers to benefit from the the sort of end-to-end case management care pathway electronic healthcare record systems so it does depend on on a few factors but um and it does depend on the funding that we get to how fast we can grow but obviously that technology side will be growing quite rapidly i, I expect over the over the next uh, six months to a year but in terms of the the funding as you said will you be getting much from the nhs as well uh, and how does that um, balance out with the private investment or a third-party investment that, that you'd be looking for yeah, so you know, I mean, the NHS doesn't sort of fund us as a business per se, but they would pay us for the services that we provide them. Yeah, but do they contract yeah. for for those services so you know that you're going to get a certain yes uh, amount? So that's bankable as yeah. a metric. Yeah, exactly. So you, you would have a, a contract um, with a trust or with a service in the yeah. NHS, and it would say, "I'm going to send you this number of referrals per month," and then so you can it. bank on that, and then you yeah. can build based on on that. And the other. Um, reached for revenue i guess are more to do with licensing rather than number of uh users uh rather than number of um, patients coming through yeah as i say yeah so obviously the sort of service model side of the business will be number of appointments yeah. um there is then also uh from the licensing model would be utilization of of the technology where you're not providing the service so that'd be licensing a sort of what we call a SaaS model yeah. um, software as a service uh we're also doing some interesting things um we're building out uh so from another perspective is we, you can get grants and um, so we did we were able to get a actually a couple of grants um to help to build out new technology as such um and that if anyone's building new things as well there's also um a government scheme where you can claim back some of the r d as well sure. uh, on, on the end of that um but yeah so one of the things we're building now is so um when people have therapy you have to do homework it's like when you go to a physio you have to do your exercises at home sure. pretty much very few people do their homework now um at the moment you know why is that why is the engagement so low well people have to get it sent on an email or a worksheet or whatever they're just not motivated to do it so what we're building with this grant is a digital uh, digital versions of homework that have an ai assistant which will help to motivate them send messages link back with the clinician um, and you will know whether they're following through on what's being yeah and then yes and then the ai can learn from what that person wants or you know if, for instance if that if, if if going for a run in the morning is a positive thing then it will it will learn from that and try and help you and support you and then there's a way of sort of rewarding without yeah. punishment without punishing as well that helps to motivate and and around goal setting etc so i think having that sort of digital way of doing things for me we need to assess it and test it I, you know we've got a patient population obviously we we can test that on but these are the sort of things that you need to to build out, and then obviously that could also be licensed. Um, those sorts of products that you build could also be licensed. And Dr. Julian is focused initially on mental health yeah. support. Do you see the ability to go to broader um, medical support, and, and what yeah. what might it go to? Yeah, absolutely. It's like an evolving business over time. Um, yeah. I think what we found already is um, when you look at the technology. Is very customizable and it's built in a modular fashion so um, you can sort of pick and choose the modules and build new modules um, and customize it to however you want it to be so it doesn't just have to be a therapist on that module it could be whoever and um, it could even be uh, a tutor for instance but yeah, yeah. Well, sticking to sticking to, to the medical side we have had approaches from organizations um, that want to use it across 
multiple care pathways, so potentially their, their physios, dentists, etc. And even there's interest from international uh, countries abroad where they're, they're sort of just using paper um, and actually utilizing a more modern system that's more customizable could be across the whole of their healthcare system. So, you know, you could, the, the, the sort of scalability is limitless based on the fact that so long as you're prioritizing things and making yeah. sure you're not trying to do everything all at once, um, but utilizing um, the tech in different use cases and then going for that. So how, how do you, how are you going to assess when it's ready to go beyond? I mean, you said that you've already had conversations. Yeah. What will let you know that it's it's time for you to broaden that horizon and actually yeah. deploy it against other yeah. um, problems? Yeah. So it depends on the, the functionality of the platform and who wants to use it. Um, also being careful that for instance, if you're going to use it in any use case that will require a huge amount of development and potentially could be uh, a big distraction, mm -hmm. um, then you've got to learn how to say no as well and just prioritize and focus on what you're doing one at a time. But what we, we have found, um, so for instance, organization that provides therapy, but also then can pro provides other services rather than utilizing seven, eight different platforms across that organization, they might want to, you know, I think they want to consolidate it. Yeah. So therefore you can start to do it that way uh, and start to, you know, to build out the, the tech to allow them to consolidate it across their different services. And once you have a use case for that, you can then go to other services. It actually sounds really exciting that, you know, you just, although when I did my own research, it looked uh, very appropriate for what you uh, got it kicked off on. But yeah, now you talk about, you know, tutors, other healthcare, not even healthcare related services. It's got quite a lot of uh, potential. But then when, when you look at the, the, the team behind it, I mean, you start it off from a very strong ethical perspective, trying to solve the problem in the NHS. When you move away from that, are you going to still be as passionate about it? Because uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, being a yeah. founder is not an easy gig, yeah. as you know. Yeah, 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 no, absolutely. Well, you've got to, you've got to build a team around you that that can do the things that you're not good at. Um, you know, that's the point. And I think, so long as you, I think, but I think it's important that the founder. I think if the founder is not involved or the ethical element goes away, then you lose credibility of of the business. So, from my perspective, we're we're building an, a business that is always going to be ethical. Um, and isn't just based on obviously you need to make profit because yeah. that's. What expect of you, but well, you it's do not that. just the, the investors and shareholders. It's if you want that idea Correct. or that proposition to continue, have a life, it has yeah. to be sustainable. A hundred percent. Yeah. And you want a yeah. very profitable business naturally, of course, yeah. but you can do that in an ethical, uh, sustainable way um, that isn't, you know, just focused at money at all costs. I think. So have actually... you already let go of opportunities on, on the back of that ethical well, no, I think I... in your own mind? No, I, I don't think so at all. I don't think um, I don't think they're connected in that way. I think actually by being ethical, it actually creates more opportunity because people want to use you more. You get yeah. more therapists coming to join you. You get so actually from a perspective uh, of being ethical, it's actually you're able to make more profit because you're ethical. I I, yeah. I believe. Um, and then I think you know, as you say, moving away from it, I think by having uh, the the technology platform, actually you're, by licensing it, you're able to allow more people to benefit from it. So therefore you're actually expanding your reach further. You know, yeah. that'd be my... So in terms of uh, the success of the platform itself, you've got feedback loops taking place, both from the customers and the clinicians that you've got on board. Yeah. How do you, how do you balance uh, the those two key 
bits of feedback and who, who gets priority and how do you determine which, which things take priority? Yeah, <laughs> interesting, interesting question. Well, it, de- it depends on where you're, you know, what are your immediate priorities in the business? Where are you going? Obviously, you want to be improving things all the time uh, for for both groups. I think, um, yeah, I mean, again, it, it's a, it's just a, a continual improvement in, in what you're trying to do. I think I I don't think you, one could take priority over the other because they're the same. You know, they're a balancing act because you, without the patients, you can't have the therapy. Without the therapist, you can't have the patients. So you kind of need to do both at the same time. And what are the biggest challenges that you've seen from the patient's perspective? Yeah. Um, well, so there's a few, obviously being an online business, not everyone yep. in this country has access to the internet yet. So there's still quite a lot of health inequalities there, et cetera. So so. Connectivity is one. Connectivity. I guess the use of the internet, even if yeah. you have the connectivity, you might not want to. Yeah. But is it, it, that human element, how big a factor is that? How, how much do, are you seeing, firstly, people still reluctant or not wanting to go digital? Yeah versus well interestingly uh, cove well when it was sort of set up founded you know some there was a, a big thing to say you must see a therapist face to face but there was a movement that was sort of going towards the fact that you could do it online now i'm not saying that everybody should do it online i think there needs to be choice um but i think what's interesting is since covid everyone has just realized that, that you can i mean in mental health especially there are um, you don't have to physically examine a patient like I would as, as a GP now, you know, to listen to their chest or whatever. And what we find is by having it online, you can have a much wider selection of clinicians that you can help match people. So if they need someone that speaks a particular language or is yeah. a specialist in a particular yeah. area, you can help to match them with the right person there. You can give them choice. Um, they can actually have the appointment at a more convenient time for them. So rather than saying, your appointment is in two years on a Tuesday at 8 a.m. in some random place that you don't know where that is or you've got to go in there and park and you've got to do that. You can pick your appointment and the booking system and then have it from the comfort of your own home, you know, in your slippers with your cup of tea. And actually, you know, that opens up things. Now, obviously not everyone has a safe space and in that case you have to you have to adapt around that. But I think the interesting thing is that we have had people that have, you know, really most people don't struggle and you've got to make the system as user-friendly as possible. But those that may struggle to use the system because you're offloading the admin um, of most of them, yeah. then you can still have telephone conversations with those that need the support. It's interesting. Just um, a previous conversation that I'd had. The role of the clinician, um, how do you, and you also already mentioned that you're using AI yourself. How do you yeah. see the, the future changing? Do you think yeah. you'll need as many clinicians? <laughs> well, well, uh, the 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 key question at the moment, right, with all this AI hype. Um, so my philosophy is augmentation uh, and not replacement. Now, we've already said that we don't have enough clinicians, and yeah. the waiting list is yeah. nine months to two years. So actually, we need a solution to help augment that clinician. Now, I don't think that we're ready yet to, and I don't think we're going to be ready yet for a, a long time with mental health, especially now. Um, you know, mental health, and we're human beings at the end of the day. We need to have the empathy. We need to understand the the, the social circumstances, sure. etc. That AI may what, what what doesn't have at the moment. Um, whether it is in 15, 20, 30 years time, who knows? But I still think at the end of the day, we're, we're human beings that need to relate to each other as human beings. So in mental health, that's especially. So that sounds like it's even more relevant. You you might almost think that mental health will be one of the last places that yeah. AI would. Uh, I believe no, take over. I, I believe so, but. What you can do is utilize AI for what it's good at. So yeah. automating processes, admin, 
reducing the amount of um, admin that a clinician needs to do, therefore being able to free up more clinical time for that sure. clinician. And, and I think, you know, that's where we're going with it. I mean, it, it's also potentially good at doing triages and assessments, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I think it's great potential and we've, we've got to embrace it and work out what its best use cases are for, to augment. So the next, uh, opportunities for ARE at Dr. Julian will be where, where are you going to look to deploy it, deploy it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the first thing is in our digital homework, so understanding what um, our users uh, prefer to do, and it can help to then start to personalize that more for that user. Um, I then think from the data that we collect, because we're collecting all the outcome measures and obviously analyzing all the yeah. recovery rates, et cetera, all the time, um, I think you could utilize AI to find out and help even match patients to what's the most appropriate clinician or course or self-help tools and resources that that person needs and then therefore the platform can even more personalize that care for that individual i think that's, that's actually quite that's brilliant the fact that um from the the information the data that you collate you can start iterating yeah the the service and the deployment of of the clinicians accordingly exactly and, and even you know we've built out resource libraries as well so if that you know because the person only sees the clinician yeah. what maybe one hour a week Therefore, what are they going to do the rest of the so digital homework? And then you've mm -hmm. got personalization of the resources and tools that that person could use in the platform, you know, self-help tools, et cetera, throughout. So I think by understanding that individual through the data that you can collect about that individual, you could help to personalize it. Now, obviously, you have to be doing that um, ethically and, mm -hmm. and with all the data, data principles, et cetera. But I think it's, it's, it's a very interesting time where we can help to individualize uh, and personalize care. You know, we have to get more preventative. Um, we don't have enough clinicians, as I was saying, so we have to either, you know, got to make those clinicians more efficient, more powerful, more powerful, but also we have to try and move more into prevention. And, you know, that's in healthcare in general, an aging population that we have, how, how are we, you know, we've got a big problem that that's going to get worse with a, with a hugely aging population. Are there any, in, any different, um, metrics or measures that you have in mind when that you think other founders may not have noticed because obviously everybody knows about the the general stuff whether it's cash flow and profit mrr you know growth rates are there any metrics that you have seen or that you've used that have helped you uh, as a founder that you think would be worth sharing with other people that are not those normal yeah i mean you've got all the ones the vcs look yeah. at and cost you know Cost per acquisition. Well, let's assume that everybody knows those. So, what about I mean, that helped you? Share a bit the human factors, I think, you know, obviously important in a human centric, yeah. bit, well, depending on which side of the business. But yeah, I think those are, and, and employee retention and making sure that your employees are motivated, believe in your vision, and, you know, that those are the ones that are working well in this, in the business. The business at the end of the day is, 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 the people that you have in the business that runs, you know, that run and operate the business. So it's about making sure that you've got passionate people who believe in the vision, understand where it's going, and and can operate to the to the best of their ability, feel empowered, and you know. Employee so retention. employee retention is a good one, but how do you pre? It was a precursor to that. What have you been? Have you been using polls, or how do you yeah, assess yeah. so that you don't have the uh, so, the people leaving? How do how do you manage that or mitigate for that? Yeah, so we we do regular sort of company surveys all the time, and again, it's around understanding who's happy, who's not happy. Trying to, you know, if they're not happy, why are they not happy? Um, I think we've got 
a very very good employee it's interesting we've got a very you know a very good employee retention rate i think because they really believe in the purpose of the company as well that we're doing um and we we you know we're constantly trying to improve things make um as i say social events etc we're, we're very inclusive and i think it's um you know it really shows and everyone's for instance on our on our chats and our yeah. teams channel etc all supporting you know one another so i think that's um and, and a great community i think is very you know important you mentioned that there's um, that core bunch that are your uh, key team. Above and beyond that, how many people do you have as associates or yeah. uh, fellows, for want of a better? Yes, so like, um, yeah, so it's sort of a self-employed base. I yeah. think we're up to two hundred and thirty odd clinicians now, but that's right. growing. Yeah, that's growing. All so time. the total team is close to three hundred. Well, yeah, well, depending if, on yeah. If you class them as part of your team, I mean, yeah. teams today are not not the yeah. same. They're not a team is not just a bunch of employees it's yeah all sorts of people part of the team that's so incredible. i mean obviously in terms of the um yeah so in terms of how we're running operating our services we have our full-time clinicians yeah. that work uh for us because they they want to just be on a salary etc but for us to have that breadth and depth uh, and be able to expand our services rapidly we you have the affiliate therapist who might give you between five you know sometimes five twenty five to twenty sort of hours a week yeah. um and you can then place those in where they're appropriate to be placed uh, to run to help run those affiliate and that's services. part of the software that you've built allows you to do that deployment as well yeah. as uh... yeah so a clinician might be so you know we're working with these these trusts um some of them uh, are, there's different services within so yeah. you've got different types of therapy for instance you've got uh, what's called step three cbt or you've got emdr for trauma sure. or you've got different counseling modalities that people use so counseling for depression or interpersonal therapy, et cetera. And obviously clinicians are skilled and have accreditations in those various areas, but by having those that network of clinicians, you can assign them to those portals that you've set up. Uh, and then patients can then get choice and a much wider choice of clinicians or we, and you can help match them to the most appropriate person for them. So we find, you know, you get better recovery rates, you get better did not attend rates, better engagement because you're really helping to get that person the right person, you know, the right person. And so I guess through this, you'll be getting ratings for each of the clinicians as well. They'll see their ratings uh, just, uh, yes. just as others. I, mean, I have a friend who um, is a surgeon right. in, in the US and his success rate on, so the, I'm sure you know it's uh, pretty much determined by the insurance companies, but it was so good doing knees and then he was so good at the success rates on right knees he became the right knee guy so he just does yeah, right yeah. knees is there something similar to that that you'll you'll be um, able to <laughs> determine with the clinicians well as i say whether you've got the data right and the ai obviously clinicians might want some variety and that's part yeah. of what they they want so fine um but you can obviously assess what recovery rates are for what type of person for what um you know type of problem that they have and you can you can start to sort of to, to get yeah. to work out that um obviously we're assessing recovery rates customer satisfaction all the time uh, and therefore you know and, and you well, you've got to do that sort of some of the metrics like recovery rates you have to base it on the severity of the problem as well so you're not just um some people that might be way more severe might not have the chance to recover so constantly assessing that of the therapist we haven't yet put the sort of trust pilot thing for individual therapists yet because 
I don't know if that was very fair in mental health, but yeah, we're constantly. No, I, was, I was wondering whether there was a, a way from your ability to measure the outcomes. Yes. To be t- able to determine it rather than uh, a trust pilot. Yeah, because that's yeah, a, a subjective yeah. piece, whereas you seem to have the roots to get the actual data to, to yeah. make that mm. decision. So I guess at the moment, you, you've not got, you, you will always have an undersupply of uh, uh, clinicians. Uh, or you won't have enough to cover the demand that you have, but you could. Do you ever have a situation where a clinician has offered you up X hours and you've only used eighty percent of that? Or? Yeah, I mean, so capacity planning is obviously the biggest thing. Now we we pride ourselves on not having a waiting list because if where people come to us, we don't we don't want to shift a waiting list from one place to another. Yeah. So we take what we can manage. Um, occasionally, obviously. If, if a slot's in a, in a place, the occasional slot may not be filled, but that's a constant battle to ensure that that, you know, that, that happens. And again, as the technology improves, AI improves, et cetera, you can get better at, at capacity planning, I think. And your, your, your point before is, you know, the data, I think, is very important. And, you know, you can collect a lot of information, demographic information, et cetera, to, to help, again, provide a match of the right clinician to that human being. So I think that's, uh, you know... Because I was just thinking the other way around. You could end up in a situation where... You are asking Doctor X yep. to give you another twenty hours because you know that you have a, a demand for that number of people, and yeah. So you, you you're making the call rather than a, uh, the doctor saying, "Oh, I've got twenty hours." Yeah. Or yeah, well, you have yeah. I mean, you can you can only do what that clinician can do, right? So, but yeah, you, it's, but if it's you can let them, them know that correct. actually they're really good at this thing, they can help yeah. X number of other people. It's going back to the uh, ethical piece. You can. If they were aware that actually um, this is something I do well yeah, and I can help um, even more folk, no, they might give you more of their time rather than watching Coronation Street or <laughs> something else. <laughs> well, yeah, ab- absolutely. Like based on the, li- you know, on, on what they can do, absolutely. In terms of, you know, you've got to be careful you don't burn them out. Yeah, no, absolutely. But you'll be able to keep a, a track of that as well. 100%. But I guess you'll have enough... Uh, uh, knowledge, experience, and, and data around burnout. Hundred percent, yeah. As well, you maybe even build that into the um, deployment uh, model that you've got. Yeah, no, and again, you know, by having a tech-first solution that can measure all this and do, yeah. you know, this is what I think is interesting and exciting for the future. I think that's that's actually excellent in terms of the ability that you'll have both in terms of managing the the customer base and the doctors and even optimizing where they're actually deployed as well. Exactly, yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Julian. Thank you for having Dr. me. Dr. Julian. And for, um, it sounds like a, a brilliant pe- a business and every success for the future. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Founder Metrics. Remember... Even the biggest of ambitions are within your reach when you leverage the right strategies and metrics. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and never miss a future episode. You can visit vested.com founder metrics for additional resources, articles, and exclusive content. Join our growing community of entrepreneurs and founders by following us on LinkedIn or X. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Let's continue to unlock the metrics of success, sharing, and create a brighter future.